Good morning, and welcome to Ask BBB, the program that brings you information from and about businesses you can trust. Ask BBB features business owners and managers who share their experience and insights so that consumers are better informed about products and services they are contracting or purchasing. I'm Jim Swan. And I'm Linda Smith. Linda is the CEO of the Better Business Bureau serving Western Ontario. This is the season of giving and sharing. And later on Ask BBB, we'll share the Better Business Bureau's tips on charitable giving, information to help assure that your donation does the most good. 2018 is nearing the end. When it comes to financial planning, year-end sets off a signal to do some financial transactions that will complete the year to our best advantage, as well as laying out a financial roadmap for the year ahead. To help us map this out, we welcome David Elliott, President of Sutherland Elliott Insurance and Thames Financial. Good morning, David. Good morning, Linda and Jim. How are you this fine morning? We're just fine, and we hope that we're even better once we get some financial advice. David, how many of us have a clear map of our financial trails, and how important is it to have that detailed map of our current expenses, spending patterns, as we try to map out a financial plan for the future? I think we all have a plan. You know, there's there's lots of adages out there, you know, if you plan to fail, you fail to plan, and, and back and forth. But we all have a plan. Now, is it written down? Is it something that we we know that we're going to hit? But I think everybody deserves having uh, time spent with a financial advisor to, to look over what it is they want to have happen and, and uh, make sure that those uh, goals are realistic. What, how much information, though, should we have about our spending patterns, David, before we sit down? You really don't need uh, a lot of information about your spending habits, Jim. Um, you can. We're, we're going to go through a budgeting process, yes. But the first thing I'm going to do is sit down and talk about what your goals are. So when do you want to retire? Um, what, what does retirement look like for you? Does it have trips in it? Is it uh, one where you're planning on working until you're 95? What is it that your retirement looks like? And that's what we're going to sit down and talk about first. And I want to get a good picture and a good handle on on how I can help you. And then we're going to get into, you know, what you've got saved up already, uh, what uh, kind of uh, pensions or RSPs you might have at work, and then talk through how can we get from where you are today to where you're going to be, and are you prepared to put away what needs to go away, and uh, and what does that look like for you? When we look at risk tolerance from our personal perspective. Is it something we, we might want to change if we are at the extreme point of either end of the scale? Uh, exactly. Um, after we've done the after we've done your goals and your vision and your future dreams, we talk very clearly about what your risk profile is. And when I talk about that, that risk profile sometimes everybody says it's different because of the age. So if I'm 25, I can probably tolerate ups and downs in the market better than when I'm 80. But the bottom line is, if you can't sleep at night, if you're worried about what your investments are, you're in the wrong investment. Um, There are people out there who they need to know that every dollar they put away when they wake up in the morning, it's there. And if that's the case, GICs, even though they're very limited in interest uh, rates, they still are the best for you because that's who you are and that fits your profile. On the other hand, if you get excited when you see a stock go up, 20% 20% and it doesn't bother you when it goes down 30%, mm-hmm. then that's a good one for you as well. 
So we do look at it, and we do try to encourage people to look at when they get into the the uh, later years in life to make that risk profile a little bit more conservative. So um, what are some of the things then that I would be prepared to answer that would help you determine and me determine what my risk tolerance is? Well, we go through a profile, Jim, of asking you things such as when do you plan to get your investments out? And if that's shorter than longer, then that's going to mean that you've got less risk tolerance. Uh, We also ask you about, you know, if the market went up 20% uh, and crashed at 30%, would you likely sell your investment? Because there's too many people out there that once they know the market's going down, they sell. And the best time to buy is when the market is low. And if you can't ride through when a market goes down, you shouldn't have been in that market in the first place. So what are some of the things we should be considering now and doing before December 31st, 2018? Well, it's a good time to top up uh, registered education savings plans. So if you, uh, if you have uh, some, some children getting ready to go to college, university, or grandchildren getting ready to go to college, university, it's a good time to top those up. A lot of people believe that uh, they, uh, they can't, they, they, they want to have, help their grandchildren out, and all we need is a social insurance number and Revenue Canada makes sure. So the grant money you need to have in place so we can get that grant money into that policy or into that product for the first of the year. Um, outside of that, there's also, if you know of somebody who is uh, disabled and might qualify for a registered disability savings plan, those plans, again, uh, we can get grant money uh, from the government and best to top those up by year end. Other than that, I would just encourage people to consider giving generously to their charities. We need to get those charitable receipts dated for December 31st of this year, and uh, that helps, again, to reduce some of that money going up to Ottawa and uh, helps us to make sure that we keep some in the community and do the things that you want it to do. And then the other deadline will be toward the end of February uh, for RSPs and some of those uh, 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 products, eh? Right. So you've got 60 days after January 1st to get uh, uh, money into an RSP for it to count in the year for 2018. Um, so usually what most people do is try to figure out what their income tax is going to be that's owing or credit back and uh, and then see whether or not you're going to be able to reduce that amount or get more of a credit back and uh, get that calculation done, you know, late January so that we can make sure we've got it set up for you in February. You're listening to Ask BBB, and our guest is David Elliott, who is president of Southern Elliott Insurance and Thames Financial. And we're talking, as you can hear, about finances, things we should consider as the year comes to an end. And a new year is just a few weeks away. And we'll return with more in a moment. Welcome back to Ask BBB. I'm Jim Swan. And I'm Linda Smith. Linda is the CEO of the Better Business Bureau Serving Western Ontario. Our guest this morning on Ask BBB is David Elliott of Sutherland Elliott Insurance and Thames Financial. We, we are looking at financial planning this morning. And David, before the break, we were talking about risk tolerance and the types of investments we might consider. And we also talked about things we should consider before December 31st, 2018. You, what are some of those things we should be thinking about also in the new year, David? Well, in the new year, as we talked uh, before, is, is to make sure we've got our, our uh, income tax calculated out for how much money we want to put into RSPs. Because if you are 
getting a refund, then you are doing the right thing when it comes to financial planning. I, uh, I'm always amazed at those who get excited when they uh, believe that they're going to be um, uh, getting a refund, uh, when in fact they should be looking at paying. I guess I reversed that. But what I'm getting at is that if you're getting a refund, then what you've done is actually had too much money going to your taxes and not being able to use that during the year. So you've been basically out of that money for a whole 12 months. So I recommend to people to not be worried about paying more on your income tax so you do get a refund in April, but instead look at ways when you hit January, February, okay, so now if I put more money into my retirement planning, I'll have a bigger nest egg when I retire, and that would be a good thing. David, is it ever too late to start a plan? No. And, and you know, what's really interesting is, is I would recommend that this should be done in high school. Um, a lot of the budgeting and financial planning that we take when we get into uh, the business, we think, boy, would this not be helpful when I was thinking about buying my first car or when I was planning on buying, uh, paying for my education, whatever it is. And, and budgeting becomes, once you learn budgeting and once you learn how to uh, forecast uh, not only what you're making today, but what you're going to make next month and how I'm going to be able to make sure I don't live from paycheck to paycheck, uh, it becomes really a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, if you get to the point where you are living paycheck to paycheck and you can't keep up with what's going on, then you're forced into a budget and it becomes very uncomfortable. So I would think that if we can get people on budgeting sooner and early and get them using getting used to using what you've got and then learning how to leverage that through loans, I think we'd all be better off. Now, you mentioned that we should have that in high school, uh, maybe even before that. I learned some of my lessons of uh, uh, money doing paper routes when I was 10 and 12 years old. So there may be some opportunities there. But failing high school or failing those sorts of things, David, are there any sources or places where we can send uh, our our children or uh, people can go to, to learn these sorts of things. Well, interesting you raise that. Um, as you know, I'm part of the uh, the Rotary Club of London, and and we talk a lot in, in our Rotary Club about literacy, and we think about literacy mainly as the written literacy, you know, being able to write or read. Financial literacy is, is a huge mm-hmm. issue in today's society. And uh, I've actually been talking with a couple of uh, people who are in the, in the business and, and putting on seminars, to invite people to come to to understand the components, uh, as well as uh, we would do seminars in workplaces or in apartment buildings or wherever we can to help people get uh, used to uh, what that uh, financial success can be. And the problem is when you talk about literacy, somebody doesn't want to admit that they're having issues financially. So we've got to find a way to make it more appealing and make it easy for people to want to sign up. So there's something we can look forward to as the the year unfolds. Mm-hmm. So the factors that are considered in financial planning include age, level of income, and lifestyle. What are the varying levels of expertise we should be looking for when we seek advice? For instance, if I'm just starting in my career and my main priorities are paying rent and buying groceries, do I look for someone different than the advisor who helps my grandmother who owns her own home and has a pension for investment income? Interesting question. Um, Personally, I think what you do is find an, an advisor who you trust. And when I say that, it, it's, it seems like it's pretty easy to find people you trust, but it's got to be somebody who you're going to confide in as to 
where your weaknesses are and what you want them to help you with. So does it matter if it's the one who's helping your grandma with the pension in the home or does it matter if it's somebody who's helping somebody get started off in life? I don't think so. It's all about trust and you need to make sure that the advisor you're working with listens to you. And what I mean by that is when you're starting off uh, and you're younger, you can probably afford to take a little more risk and, and grow your, your investments up. But when you get into your retirement years, you need an advisor who can switch with you. And what I mean by that is right now you could be into mutual funds in your 20s, 30s, and 40s. But when you get to be into your 60s and 70s, you're thinking more about how I'm going to leave my estate to my children. It might be a good idea to move into segregated funds. Because segregated funds will mean that you can then transfer that to your family. They do not go through probate. They go directly to your family. And so it avoids going through any estate costs. And uh, for a lot of the estates that I see, that, or, or I see people that are getting in their older lives, they're not being told about segregated funds and the options. They're being told because they're used to having a, an individual who only sells mutual funds or whatever, whatever the investment vehicles they are, stocks and bonds, that those are going to be end up going through probate, and those are going to end up having to be taxed, whereas this is, is a way that it's set up. It can transfer right directly to the children where you want the money to be. Um, however, you do have an extra beneficiary, and that's Revenue Canada, and so if you like giving money to Revenue Canada as well, then you should probably see them where they are. It sounds as though it might not be a bad idea for... Uh, me to find out who my grandmother or grandfather has as an advisor and um, uh, have that same advisor who can kind of help the whole family plan. Does that happen? It does. A lot of the smart advisors today are getting to know the children. And when I say smart, uh, a lot of that money is going to be transferred to the children. So the decisions that that advisor is making right now, some of the kids are probably wondering, I wonder what that advisor is saying to mom and dad about their money. And so the real smart advisors that are out there are asking to have meetings with the family and talking to them about what it is they're doing for their, for their parents, how they're rearranging the money into seg funds, as they said, or what they're doing around estate planning. And that is very beneficial. And, in fact, what happens a lot of times is the children do move their investments to that advisor as well. So if we're out looking for an advisor and we know that Thames Financial is, is one of those, um, uh, what are some of the questions we might ask ourselves and ask an advisor um, as we make that choice? Well, once you're comfortable with who it is that uh, you're going to, to do and you're feeling that you can trust them, there's really a few questions. One is, how do they get paid? Uh, there are many different ways that advisors are paid. One is fee-for-service, so it's no different than your accountant or lawyer. Uh, they would sit down, they would draft up a plan for you, and they would basically give you an invoice for your services. Um, the investments you buy, they don't have any commission, so you've got a, a better rate of return coming in on your investment. The other option is, is, is a, a commission rate that comes right off of the, the investments themselves. Again, they're both equal in value. Uh, there's not a lot out there. Then what I would ask you to do is, is look into the experience and the education of the individuals you're working with. Uh, the certified financial planning designation has been out for a number of years, um, but it, uh, it's all about what people have done with it since they've got it. So I would encourage you to, to see what your financial planner has been doing, 
what it is that they have been uh, learning, how they've been growing their business. Are they growing it with just one product line, such as stocks and bonds or mutual funds? Or are they actually well-rounded, where they're into mutual funds, segregated funds, GICs, annuities? If you find an advisor that has all of that background, you're going to find somebody that's going to listen to your needs. And that's uh, one of the things we want to do before the end of December is uh, find that uh, financial planner. David, thank you very much for your time uh, with us this morning uh, and as we approach the end of the year. Thank you, Jim, and uh, Merry Christmas and all the best to you and Linda. Thank you. Thanks, David. You're listening to Ask BBB, and our guest has been David Elliott, who is president of Southern Elliott Insurance and Thames Financial. We're talking about finances, things that you should consider as the year comes to an end. And when we return, we'll talk about the best ways to give it away. Welcome back to Ask BBB. I'm Linda Smith. And I'm Jim Swan. Linda is the CEO and the president of BBB Serving Western Ontario. We've been talking about uh, money this morning and the best ways to be sure you have enough. And now we're going to talk about giving it away. Part of financial planning includes charitable giving. And this is the time of year we are asked to give to some outstanding charities that conduct drives that provide funds for the coming year. There are more than 86,000 registered charities in Canada, so there are a lot of opportunities to help. The Better Business Bureau helps make that decision of where to give easier with the BBB Wise Giving Alliance. The BBB has developed a set of 20 standards of charitable accountability. This ensures credibility and provides information for consumers about fraudulent charities. So, Linda, what's behind those 20 standards? BBB looks beyond the numbers. While many other charity watchdogs confine their reports and conclusions solely to the charity's finances, BBB evaluates the charity's governance, fundraising practices, solicitations, and information materials, as well as how it spends its money. So what are some of the basic giving tips that we can find on the BBB website? Well, one very basic tip is to get the charity's exact name. With so many charities in existence, mistaken identity is a common problem. Thousands of charities have cancer in their name, for example, but with no connection to one another. Resist pressure to give on the spot, whether from a telemarketer or door-to-door solicitor. Be wary of heart-wrenching appeals. What matters is what the charity is doing to help. Press for specifics. If the charity says it's helping the homeless, for example, ask how and where it's working. Also, check websites for the basics. A charity's mission, program, and finances should be available on its site. If not, check for a report at www.bbb.org. And don't assume that every soliciting organization is tax-exempt as a charity. You can readily check an organization's tax status by visiting the Revenue Canada website. Just Google Canada Revenue Agency hyphen charities, and you will land on a CRA page where you can search for information about charities in general, as well as find listings on specific charities. Well, speaking of taxes and deductions, what about schemes that promise returns that are greater than your donation? Be aware of these schemes. The CRA advises that you do not take part in a donation scheme or illegal tax filings. So once you've chosen a charity and made a donation, any advice? Better Business Bureau suggests you write a check payable to the charity. 
not to an individual. If you are making the donation online, be sure the payment is secure. Once again, check the web address. It should always begin with HTTPS colon backslash backslash. The S indicates it is secure and you should see a lock icon. The Better Business Bureau website is visited to find businesses and services, and you can also learn about charities and charitable giving. Visit the website at bbb.org backslash western hyphen Ontario. Click on Charity Review, and you'll find all the information we've been talking about, as well as information on how the BBB Charity Review Program works. And that's our time for this edition of Ask BBB. Remember, you can contact us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at BBB Western ONT. If you are a business owner and are interested in becoming an accredited business with the Better Business Bureau, call us or go online to bbb.org backslash western hyphen Ontario and become part of one of the largest business networks in North America. So until next time, I'm Jim Swan. And I'm Linda Smith. Remember, ask BBB. And start with trust.